Totally Football Show. Yeehaw, it's a Bank Holiday Western special. High Nuno, a City's big guns draw in Dances with Wolves. Arsenal win without Ozil, their sixth shooter. And United this evening try and put Spurs on their heels. We'll be asking all the big questions. Will Liverpool ever concede again? And as we round up all the action across the continent, who'll score first this season, Cardiff or Cristiano? All that and Japan in the Totally Football Show. Sweet sounds of Al Jarreau here at Jazz FM on this bank holiday Monday. Paul writes in, Have the good people at Jazz FM thought of dedicating a month of programming to our favourite cashmere smooth jazz funk crooner? May I suggest a Jarreau march? Sorry, Paul. Uh, but enjoy morning in the meantime. And may I say... Morning. Nicely done. To Michael Cox. Hi, James. Sorry about that, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. That's excellent. You're going to be joining us on the Totally Football Show live at the South Bank. More on that later on, listeners. Uh, Harriet Drudge is here. Hi, James. Welcome back, Harriet, of 442 magazine. Bursting with stuff to say. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to talk about Richarlison being held up at gunpoint. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Matt Davis-Adams, any other names? Not this Still week, Still just no. Matt Davis-Adams, yeah. who is fresh from Kashima Antlers against Jubilo Iwata. That's right, yeah. Right, Kashima Antlers, that always felt to me like... that. I don't know, like, if Santra had had an incident, that would be a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're struggling a bit this season, to be honest, Cashmere Antlers. They, um, they're usually pretty good, but they're down near the bottom of the J1 league uh, this term, as are Fernando torres Sagantosu in the, in the relegation place at the moment. He's, he's started scoring, but he needs to, to carry on. There's only 10 games of the season left, so... Brilliant. That would be um, rather embarrassing, wouldn't it, if he was, if he was relegated in his uh, first season? I'll say, um, Japan round-up tick... Uh, loads of stuff coming up on the show, as you probably gathered. A bit more of J-League and, and it, it might be a bit of non-league as well, because a terrific game featuring one of your favourite players, yes. Michael, uh, later on. But just fun games all over. A magnificent match at the San Paolo. We might talk a little bit about that, Napoli. Milan and, of course, in the Premier League, some, some uh, cracking uh, games as well. The, the big story, I guess, in the Premier League, what happened at Molyneux? You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Wolves won, Man City won. Michael, will City count this as a win? <laughs> um, no, probably not. No, right, I forgot I'm, about that story. Then. I'm referring to the league cup last year. Why would I have to bring up that controversy again? Anyway, um, to recap, in on this occasion, uh, Wolves effectively shocked the, the, the champions. They, there was an offside goal early on, and then they did take the lead through handball. And then uh, Amrit Laporte got the equaliser and Vincent Company had a shocker. Is that a fair summary of the of events there? I think so, yeah. I mean, first time City failed to win an away game in the Premier League since February, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. But nice approach from Wolves. You know, we look at Newcastle 24 hours and a bit more later and how they went about taking on Chelsea. But Wolves went at them from the off and, and they were rewarded by... By getting a share of the points. Uh, horses for courses, I, I guess. Completely different squads. Uh, Wolves very much taking a, a, a page from Man City's tactical book. Is that fair? To a certain extent. I thought they were quite brave in their structure. I thought they didn't get pulled out of shape too much. And they always retain players in good positions to counter-attack. 
I mean, they got a little bit lucky. I mean, yeah. City hit the woodwork. The Wolves' goal was wrongly given for, I'd say, two different reasons. Um, but it was, What was the other one? Well, the handball, and I think it was offside as well, wasn't was it? Was he offside um, as well? It was probably more offside than handball. I think handball's slightly debatable. I know it clearly hit his hand and went in, but is that deliberate handball? I don't know, but it was definitely well, okay, offside. Okay, because uh, Keith Hackett, the erstwhile head of the, the, the kind of referees, tweeted after that saying, yeah, it wasn't deliberate, so the goal would have been given even if the refs had seen it or reviewed it. Mm-hmm. But that's surely not right, is it? They'd never have given that. I think you're right. I think there's, there's a kind of convention that if you score with your hand, even if it just hits your hand, generally it's it's given as a handball. So, yeah, I mean, you ha- you're going to have to ride your luck against City, I think, if you're one of the, the non-Big Six sides. But they gave themselves a chance, Wolves. I thought they were good defensively. And, and like I say, they're threatening on the counter-attack. I thought Company and Laporte looked quite isolated, so yeah, it was a, a good performance from Wolves. And the first time we've really seen what Wolves are all about. There was right. a lot of hype about them coming up and, and they weren't great in the first two games, but this was impressive. Yeah, still yet to win, but how impressed were you, Harriet? Yeah, really impressed. I mean, uh, as as the guys have said, they've they've played their own way and Nuno came out and said, that's, how the, that's the way we want to play. And are they only the third side since the beginning of last season to register double-figure shots at tally against City. Oh. Uh, and, the, and the first since Liverpool, I think. So, I mean, they're doing something right. Um, and, you know, it, it, a lot of teams will go defensive against City this season and, and get absolutely battered. But uh, Wolves put up a really good show on, on Saturday. Based on this and what you've seen so far, how do you rate Adam Bates' suggestion that they could be finishing as high as seventh maybe this year or eighth, maybe he said? I think top 10 is definitely achievable uh, and given given Burnley's exploits last season and you know the fact that they're struggling a bit this season there's going to be a few kind of swaps in and around um, the top half of the table so I think Wolves if they keep playing the way they did against City they'll they'll do really well this season Okay and no one's going to like going to Molyneux and playing here's a stat for you Matt uh, 28 home games under Nuno Espirito Santo they've only lost two of them Yeah incredible and their, their next home game is against Burnley they're at West Ham next weekend so a good opportunity in at least one of those two games to, to get their first win on the board Right You might be interested to know that Nuno Espirito Santo was late for his press conference because he was having a cigarette which is okay. very on brand for him Why is that on brand? He just loves smoking Oh okay yeah. Right I was hoping that maybe because he's being fitted for a, like an ankle-length leather coat. I think he looks a lot like Morpheus out of The Matrix. Would you say? Anybody? I'm going to really upset you here. I've never seen The Matrix. Neither have I. Really? Is that how old I am? <laughs> I haven't seen it. So. It's, not, it it's just not worth seeing anymore, is it? I guess. Is yeah. It? I mean, it was a great film. Oh, just in passing, with the Portuguese links at Wolves and Jorge Mendes... Could that be a possible destination for Mourinho if things were to, say, not work out at United? Is that fanciful? I don't think he's got any other option in the Premier League, really. I mean, he's not going to go to any of the other top six sides, is he? He can't can't go to Manchester City, uh, can't go back to Chelsea, Arsenal wouldn't take him, can't go to Liverpool... Uh, Spurs, I don't think, would want him. He's totally against, you know, what they stand for in terms of bringing players through. So, if he wants to stay in England, what's his what's his other option? I don't know. It just sounds remarkable. And by the way, he turned up uh, early for his press conference on Friday. Big game coming up against Spurs this Monday evening. He left a tense four minutes and nineteen seconds later. Why was he so nervous? Possibly because he'd heard that Nick Dawes has been sacked by Scunthorpe. Do you recall <laughs> David Priest's bold prediction last week? It's all coming together. Uh, anyway, that uh, that's a big game coming up against Spurs this Monday evening. Of course, City dropping points means that for the first time in over a year, they are off the top of the table, 
Liverpool are top after they beat Brighton. Is the title race over, man? <laughs> um, no, probably not. I mean, Liverpool have had a, a relatively kind start to the season, haven't they? They weren't they weren't anywhere near their electric best in this game, but that's probably credit to Brighton. Brighton, not particularly good away from home. Wouldn't expect them to win here, but they haven't won on the road since November. Could have had a point, had a decent chance in the second half. But the difference between, as Jurgen Klopp said after the match, is the difference between, hopefully, for Liverpool, them this season and last season. This right. was exactly the kind of game they would have drawn at Anfield. But, yeah, Van Dijk seems to have made the difference. 11 clean sheets in the 18 Premier League games uh, that he's played for them so far. So right. and worth, worth the money. None conceded this year. Will they ever concede again? Could it be if Alisson keeps kind of wandering out and deciding to have a go himself? Yeah, that was a little bit nervy, but he does he does do that and always seems to get away with it. So um, I guess he's just that good in in possession. I thought the interesting thing here was Liverpool's goal, the nature of Liverpool's goal. It was just absolutely everything that Klopp wants from his side. The bright midfielder, uh, Basuma, who was making his debut, received a pass seemingly under no pressure and then immediately had four guys around him. Milner tackled him, a ball fell to Mane, who, who transferred it on to Firmino, who played a lovely pass to to Salah and it was an easy pass in terms of locating Salah but it was just the right weight that meant Salah could hit it first time and uh, that combination of the very quick press and Firmino just being clever in those situations I think is what Liverpool are all about You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson The Matrix is a system Neil That system is our enemy When you're inside you look around what do you see businessmen teachers Lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, yeah. most of these people... Nuno Espirito Santo there explaining his defensive philosophy uh, in, in actually a, a clip from The Matrix. That's what it sounds like. Just not Matt a fan Harriet. of the genre, to be honest. What, you're not a sci-fi fan? Nah. No, but it's a rainy bank holiday Monday. I'm thinking, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm thinking, go home, stick on The Matrix and go... That's what all the fuss is about. We'll put and it in the maybe pile. It's a, it's a signature role for Keanu Reeves and, and Harriet. Do I need to sell it anymore? Oh, no, absolutely not. Keanu Reeves. Bingo. Yeah. Uh, OK. Um, by the way, if you're stuck for something to do on Monday, the 24th of September, then get yourself along to the South Bank and haggle with the tout outside for one of the tickets, which will already have sold out for Totally Football Live. If, however, you want to plan ahead, go to southbankcentre.co.uk and buy yourself a ticket. Coxie will be there. Oily Sailor will be there. I'll be there. All your friends. Excellent. People of Manchester, we're coming for you as well. Friday the 5th of October. It's Rory Smith. It's Daniel Story. It's the Royal Northern College of Music. Head to C-Tickets. That's S-E-E. C-Tickets.com for more. It's going to be exciting. As exciting as a trip to Craven Cottage proved this Sunday, Harriet? What do you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely, obviously. Seeing you guys uh, live is obviously a treat. Um, six goals at Craven Cottage this weekend and 25 shots Fulham had. And 25 from Fulham? 25 wow. from Fulham and 12 on target. Most of them coming from Andre Scherler, who eventually got on the score sheet. But yeah, no, it was a really impressive performance by Fulham. Um, quick off the mark and a, a seriously good goal by Seri. Yeah, um, Scherler's was pretty nice as and well. Scherler's was good, yeah. I can um, watch that again and again and again. <laughs> I think ser- series for me, I could watch over and over. It's just one of those when it leaves his foot, you just know that it's going to absolutely bust the net. No, absolutely. Um, but that seemed more instinctive. What really impressed me about Schurz was the fact that he just stops and knows exactly what he's doing. It's as if there was nobody else on the pitch. Like, yeah, now I'm going to do this now. Completely unperturbed by anybody else. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a bit of a crowded area as well, wasn't it? And uh, he kind of blindsided Joe Hart and just smashed it past him. Yeah. Um, well, he stopped. The ball bounces out to him rather unexpectedly. He just stops it dead, assesses the situation for a nanosecond, and then plots this kind of course, which is just to shift it right, but then cut it back left. Oh, sorry, I'm a little bit excited by that. But you're right. <laughs> Seri's goal was the more spectacular. Yeah, and uh, you know that's that's a, a glimpse of uh, why Fulham paid 25 million for him. And Sean Dyche came out after the game and said, you know, Mitrovic was the best player on the park. And, you know, Fulham will be hoping to see more of that side of him um, than, you know, Newcastle fans never really got to see too much of that. So why is that that he's, I mean, he's exploded under um, Jokanovic. Is it, is it the Serbian connection? 15 goals in 21 starts since making his debut for the Cottages in February. Is he, is he used differently or anything? No, not really. I thought he often did quite well for Newcastle. I remember being at a relegation six-point against Norwich a few years ago and he scored two great goals. And he always seemed popular with the supporters. Um, maybe didn't carry on. You know, he wasn't particularly consistent under Benitez. I think there was question marks about whether he could defend from the front. But in a side like Fulham, who are on the front foot, they have a lot of possession. I think he's one of the best penalty box, uh, penalty box players in the Premier League, actually. I think the, the one thing is he'll be disappointed he didn't get a hat-trick here because he hit the post. He probably should have turned in a cross from uh, Fosu Mensa. Um, but his all-round play is great. And uh, not surprised to hear Dyche uh, singing his praises because he's the kind of player that Dyche likes, isn't he? A big, old-fashioned number nine. That's true. That was all in that, those post-game interviews, which also featured Schürrle doing a remarkable impression of Jürgen Klopp, I felt. <laughs> very very similar uh, approach. He's a nice man, André Schürrle. Is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, interviewed him a few times when he was at Chelsea, and he, he was it's a big season for him, because he had two really disappointing seasons at Dortmund. Obviously, he's on loan at, at, at Fulham, but he scored eight goals for Chelsea, and he's won full season in the Premier League. Actually got a hat-trick at Fulham, so mm. there's obviously something about that, that, about that place that he likes, but yeah, nice to see him sort of finding some form. And Mitrovic really pronounced his performance on the day that Rondon was toiling away for Newcastle. And, you know, we know really the answer as to why they cashed in on Mitrovic because they got £25 million for him and they've paid nothing for Rondon. But you just wonder if, if he'd been at St James's Park on Sunday instead of Craven Cottage, would he have taken that first half header that Rondon put wide? Maybe, maybe not. But, yeah. Are you a Man United fan? Yes, I am. Because there were a lot of United fans very upset to see the form that Timothy Fossu Mensa is in right now. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my colleagues was uh, was at Craven Cottage yesterday, and uh, he sent out a tweet about about Fossu Mensa. And M- Mourinho's been been banging on about how he hasn't got uh, the resources that he needs, and yet. Um, and no right backs but he's got a strong quick and young player who's putting in great performances and got a great crossing and brilliant going forward um, out on loan at Fulham Uh, but quite a lot of uh, Man United fans on Twitter then piped up afterwards to say well he's far too positive a player for for Mourinho (laughs) and he's nine years too young. Quick word on Burnley who suddenly become not quite so difficult to play against. David Pudge says uh, Burnley's discrepancy between goals against seven and XG against 4.42, 4.42, hey, 4.42, uh, is the biggest in the league. Small sample, question mark, bad luck, question mark, Joe Hart, question mark. First of all, what does that mean? <laughs> You'd expect them to concede like four and a half goals, but they've actually conceded seven. Yeah. Is that dramatic? At this stage, it's quite a big discrepancy. And yes. what, what do you think is the issue with, with Burnley at the moment? Is it Europa League or is that just an easy answer? No, I think that, I think that is the main issue. Um, as I said last week, yeah, be interesting to see what happens this week. They've got the return against Olympiacos. Mm. 3-1 down from last yeah, week. Yeah, and I feel they could get that back. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept a clean sheet. Greek side's often not very good away from home. Um, but if they do go through to the group stage, I think that will massively compromise their Premier League season. Okay. I, think, I think it's a, the biggest factor in whether 
you know, how high they finish in the league this year, whether they go into the group stage or not, and indeed how seriously they take it. Yeah. Okay. It can be quite tiresome when managers complain about not having had enough money to spend in the summer, but Dyche has probably got a good point there. I mean, they've they really only bought in Ben Gibson, and, and if they do get into the Europa League group stages, you're adding, what, a minimum six more games. They've already will have played probably that many in the qualifiers. Yeah, but Ben Gibson and Joe Hart. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, now, uh, also on Sunday, and also on maximum points with Chelsea and Liverpool, Watford 2 1. They beat Palace. Palace once again this week, sort of effing and jeffing about the refing with, you know, some justification. But basically, goals from Pereira again and Holobas, somewhat fortuitously, before Wilsar um, picked himself up and, and managed to get one back. Yeah, um, Pereira's had a really good start to the season, hasn't he? And he actually ended um, last season quite, quite strongly as well. Um, nobody does looks of anguish on the touchline quite like Roy, and there was a brilliant shot when Joel Ward missed an open goal, free header, last action of the game, of uh, Roy turning away, rain-soaked, in total, total anguish as Javi Gracia crossed himself to say thank you for the ball not going in. Just um, That was a nice moment. Yeah. Well, a lot for uh, this bedraggled Roy to be upset about, not least the fact that um, Kapui, who played a big part in the first Watford goal, uh, should maybe have been sent off early doors, Harriet. Yeah, I don't think there's uh, any maybe about it. I think he should have gone. And I think the only thing that saved him there was because it was so early, I think it was in the fourth minute, that he raked his studs down Will Sahar's Achilles and then almost gave him a little extra kick for good measure. Um, and Roy came out after the game and said, you know, that that really affected Zaha. And it took him a while. And he did have a quiet game up until, you know, the moment that he, he got one back for Crystal Palace. But I I think it is an absolute dead set red. What for maximum points? A lot of people are thinking, well, yeah, but they start well, don't they? What for Daniel Story pointing out that they haven't actually kicked off a season with three straight wins since the days of Graham Taylor. Are they destined for big things this year? Well, they've beaten Brighton, Fulham and Palace and their next four are Spurs and Man United, then Arsenal and Fulham. So we'll get a much better read on them after those games, I think. I see. I see. How about Chelsea then? 2-1 at Newcastle. Matt? Yeah, what a bizarre game this was. Uh, 81% possession for the away team has got to be a record. And it was extraordinary to watch just six players lined up in their own penalty area for the duration of the match, effectively. Uh, big surprise that Jamal Lascelles and John Joe Shelby didn't start for Newcastle. Apparently they were injured. Reports that Lascelles had a row on the training ground, as as is the fashion uh, this week with Benitez. Um we were talking about Zaha's treatment and the tackle from Kapu. Um, what happened to Eden Hazard was absolutely shocking in this match, I thought. It started with Matt Ritchie in the very first minute. And as often happens with Hazard, teams take turns in fouling him. Uh, Mo Diame, not quite sure how he managed to, to get away with um, not getting a red card. Just The problem with Hazard is that he doesn't dive and he doesn't exaggerate things and it really goes against him because he was he was lucky to be able to carry on. He got one really bad kick to his calf and it's just kind of, you understand why teams do it, but at the same time, you know, we'd like to see players be able to do what they can do and express themselves and it. It sort of made me feel good that Chelsea went on to win the game, although they were lucky to do so. Uh, I thought it was a, a definite penalty um, challenge Did on you? Alonso, yeah, by Shets. It's mm. half a good tackle and then he follows through. He follows and through and he basically traps his legs. Yeah. yeah, so Hazard scored the penalty to take him above Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank as Chelsea's third highest scorer in the Premier League. You're kidding? Yeah, yeah. Do you know who the other two are? A third, uh, Drogba. Drogba, yeah. 
Who Lampard and Frank Lampard, yeah, and Frank Lampard, yeah, yeah, who is Chelsea's all-time leading scorer. But then, yeah, conceded almost straight away. Awful defending from David Luiz. Just stood absolutely still. Allowed Hosselu to get in front of him and and head in. But then won it late on. And again, as we as we spoke about last week in the win against Arsenal, Sarri's substitutions really having an impact here because it was a William free kick which was brilliantly headed back by Giroud for Alonso to have the shot which Yedlin deflected into his own goal William and Giroud both having come off the bench so yeah three wins from three for Sarri he could uh, he could suck on his cigarette happily on the sideline indeed uh, as for Alonso 66 games for Chelsea he's had 14 goals and seven assists crazy numbers you mentioned what Schuller's like what's Alonso like uh, he's really nice yeah he's a he's very quiet reserved guy um, but yeah he's a, he's a lovely he's one of those who will always come and stop and chat to you post-match um, really I don't know how long you can keep saying he's underrated when, when people keep saying he's underrated who thinks he's underrated um, a fair section of Chelsea supporters uh, haven't taken to him or didn't take to him really? certainly at the start yeah there was a lot of concern at the start of this season as to whether he can play as an orthodox left back because obviously most of the good work that he does um, is is in the other half of the pitch but he's, he's proven that he can do that so far I wonder if he might get a place in the Spain squad following his dad and his granddad well, indeed. Hard to ignore numbers like that. Did love Christophe Tourer's description of Hazard as a ballroom dancer in a mosh pit. Lovely, yes. Yeah. I also like the um, the stat which was tweeted by Richard Jolly from ESPN. Jorginho made 10 more passes than Newcastle in this game. Wow, Jorginho. Because <laughs> Newcastle only had 131 passes in the entire 90, 90 minutes. Michael... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, in terms of the possession stats, I think we've probably discussed this before, but possession stats aren't quite what everyone thinks they are. It's not right. percentage of time on the ball. It's literally just total proportion of passes, if that makes sense. Oh, really? So but, possession stats yeah. is not time. So if there's a thousand passes in the game and Chelsea make 800, which is pretty much what happened, they get that's, 80%, that's 80% possession. of possession. Not the amount of time they're on the ball. Not the amount of time they're on the ball. This is so this is news. You'll have, well, you have to get Duncan into uh, Justify Opta's uh, methodology. But the point here, I think, is that Chelsea play at such a high tempo, such quick passing, with a lot of almost, not pointless one-twos, but just very quick passing triangles in defence that don't really go anywhere that I think their possession stats are often exaggerated if that right. makes sense it's, it's like you're just giving me a red pill I know it's 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 not what you think it's yeah. not what you think, not what you think hey, here is it. Duncan he says 131 successful passes for Newcastle seems low but it's still a lot more than the all time Premier League low which is Watford 75 against Portsmouth in 2006 75 <laughs> passes in a game of football says Duncan it very nearly worked as well. It wasn't until the 89th minute when Portsmouth won the game with a penalty that actually the deadlock was broken. We need to move beyond goals as a way of deciding football matches. It's too unreliable. <laughs> well, it's interesting there was a penalty there because that was you know how Chelsea got their breakthrough here. Yeah, I must say I didn't think Chelsea were very impressive here. They had so much of the ball. It's very hard against a defence that deep, but they didn't create a single decent chance in open play. And Jorginho, for all his uh, you know touches on the ball... But isn't that due to Newcastle's stalwart defending? Of course, but that's what Chelsea are going to encounter every week. If, if they can't break down a team like that... Then but they did. They, well, they didn't really. They got, a, they got an own goal in a... You know, a slightly fortunate penalty. Mm. I mean, that's okay. That's part of that's part of defending deep, but you've got to create chances as well. And I thought Jorginho took a long time to be purposeful and incisive with his passing. I think there's a slight difference as well in Sarri might find that teams in the Premier League, the defenders don't stick as tightly to forwards as they do in Italy. I think he he probably found it 
relatively or easier than in the Premier League for Mertens to drag out centre backs and others to create space. But I didn't think that was a good performance from Chelsea. Right, Matt. Um, it wasn't the sparkling best by any means, but it, it is such a unique thing. I was I was covering the game with um, Clive Walker, who played pretty much every level in England and abroad as well. And I asked him if he'd ever faced anything like this. And he said only one time Chelsea did it against um, Nottingham Forest, the world's greatest football team, when they won the league in 1978. And he said it didn't work then either. So you kind of wonder... This was a point that, that has been made um, elsewhere, but Rafa Benitez is thinking, well, I can do no wrong here, so I can set my team up like this and the fans yeah. are still going to love me because they hate Mike Ashley and they desperately want me to stay. I'm not sure how many other managers would get away with setting a team up like that at home, as Newcastle did on several occasions last season. And it's obviously so difficult then when you go behind to change that mentality. And you're starting with a, a midfield two of Key and Diame. I mean, you're not going to win many games with those two, I'm afraid. All right. Bet you're glad you don't support a club that just shuts football games down, Harriet. No, no absolutely. Imagine <laughs> if Mourinho did that. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. Hey, Michael, you went along to a very exciting game, didn't you, on uh, Saturday, Arsenal's clash with West Ham. Yeah, this was very exciting. It was very open. I spent the first 10 minutes amazed at how open West Ham were and then the next 25 or 30 amazed at how, Ar- how open Arsenal were. Chances at both ends, and I think Arsenal are actually quite lucky here. I think they're flattered by the 3-1 victory. West Ham were very good on the break. Um, I thought Felipe Anderson was the best uh, best player in the game by a long way. Excellent on the counter-attack. Really aware of who's around him. Picked good passes. Found clever positions. Um, and again, it was. I thought Arsenal were quite lucky, really, with, um, with that Diop own goal to take the lead. And even then, West Ham had chances towards the end of the game and, and Welbeck made it safe in uh, injury time. It was, in a way, despite the um, change in fortunes, more of the same from Arsenal in terms of what we've seen. Some good signs, but also some bad mistakes. Defensively, they still look very open. Um, right. So all this business I have here about it being a new dawn and their Aussie rules conditioning, enabling them to come from behind. And and also, yeah. was it coincidence that it was without Mesut Ozil? You think, no, this was just chance. Well, I think there's still... Uh, a big question mark about precisely the format of, of how he's going to play, Emery. I mean, obviously, as you say, Ozil wasn't starting here. Alex Iwobi, who was excellent against Chelsea, was quite poor on the left and got replaced at half-time. And then Lacazette came on and Arsenal looked much better when um, Aubameyang went to the left and they played with two forwards. So I'm not sure he's any closer, really, to, to deciding his starting eleven. I think the one definite positive so far has been uh, the attacking play of Hector Bellerin, who created a succession of chances against Chelsea last week. And uh, got two assists here, one for Monreal and one for uh, Welbeck. And, and Emery spoke a lot about that after the game in terms of how they use the fullbacks. He wants one to go on and one to hold the balance and then get involved later. Um, the flip side to that is that Arsenal's centre-backs were exposed again. Yeah. And as we've said previously, they're not very quick. And um, Arnautovic, who you wouldn't have him down as the quickest player in the league, but he makes excellent runs. And he really caused them problems, Arnautovic. Um so I'm not I'm not convinced by Arsenal's defending so far. Still yet to keep a clean sheet. I think the Ozil thing's a, a really big issue for Unai Emery. I mean, he said that he missed the game because he had a cold. Yeah. I think if you if you're going to make up an excuse for a player missing a game and you want to protect them, you say that you know he's ill, not he's got something which a lot of players would play on with. Um, I saw him close up at Stamford Bridge where he's, he's always seemed to struggle and, and when he got substituted it took him an eternity to come off the pitch he looked really unhappy about it obviously he's just signed this bumper new contract so it's not like they can bomb him out if you like so that's that's 
the biggest problem that Emery's got facing him at the moment, I would suggest. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Oh, maybe the answer is what he did on Sunday, leave him out. Yeah, but are you going to leave him out of the squad? Your, your highest earning player who's just signed a new contract, uh, you know, ad nauseum, is that, is that something that's going to fly? I don't, I don't know. But if he, if, it just felt like that's what he's leaning towards. Mm, it's a power struggle between the two, isn't it? And it, you, know, you think of the similarities with, with Pogba and Mourinho and, and the general consensus there is that Pogba's got the upper hand in that. It's a test for Emery as to whether, whether he is more indispensable than, than Ozil, I guess. Right. But if the fans, and indeed if, if the numbers show the club playing better without Ozil, I mean, picking out a win this weekend is, is a step in that direction. But it didn't seem like, in football terms, people particularly noticed his absence or felt his absence this time. Maybe not in football terms, but Stan Kroenke, somebody who's um, notoriously thrifty, is he going to say, we're paying this guy £300,000 a week and he's not even getting in the squad? What's the answer to that? I don't know what the answer is. Harriet, do you know what the answer is? No, um, and I think... I think the struggle is that, as Michael said, that Emery doesn't know his, his starting eleven yet and he's not sure how to get Mkhitaryan and Ozil playing mm. well together and um, whether Mkhitaryan and, and Ozil can play in, in the same team. Which is something, Michael, you touched on last week when you said that Arsenal kind of ended up almost unintentionally with the pair of them. Yeah. And if you're picking one, which would you pick at the moment, assuming neither has colds? I think you'd still pick Ozil, to be honest. Would you? Yeah, I'm not sure this is much of a, an issue, to be honest. I think it's an issue away at big sides. I'm not sure they necessarily can can play in a, a disciplined way defensively. But as I said, I don't think Arsenal played that well on on, uh, on Saturday. And the yeah. fact that he doesn't know his best team, I think, is a, is a positive for Ozil. Ramsey has done OK. I mean, really, now Ramsey's the issue. Ozil's not the issue. Ramsey's the one whose contract is expiring next summer. Um, Arsenal don't want to make him the centre of their team if he might walk away. So I think it's fairly simple what will happen you know, for next week, um, or at least going forward in, in future games. Ozil will come in as the number 10. I mean, Ozil's the best chance creator in the Premier League over the last four years. He gets a lot of stick, um, but he's fairly consistently delivered for Arsenal. Um, and I can't really imagine a situation where he would be out of the team for a, for a long time, to be honest. OK. You started off amazed, Michael, by how open West Ham were and then how open Arsenal were. How did you finish the game? <laughs> um, a little bit annoyed that my match report got ruined by the late goal, actually. Oh, I see. But uh, no, West Ham did all right here. There were some positive signs. Like I say, Arnautovic and Anderson, their combination was very good. I thought Carlos Sanchez was an improvement on Noble coming into the side. OK. It's still just a disjointed back form. I mean, Diop was making his debut. Fredericks is is new. It seems like, you know, we've had this for about three or four years at West Ham. They've actually got some good defenders, but they never seem to play a run of games alongside each other, so they just concede a lot of goals. Right. No um, wins in three then, but positives for the Hammers. Yeah, it's been a difficult defeat. start. Away at Liverpool and away mm. at Arsenal in the first three. If you look at the fixtures, the payoff comes in December where they've got a yeah, really easy run of things. So I think they'll rise up the table by then, but that is a long way away. Yeah, well, they have got AFC Wimbledon in the League Cup this Tuesday. All right, League Cup, good to have you back. Right, in a second or two, we go foreign. Listeners, here's another podcast you want to check out from us here at Muddy Knees Media. The Bradley Wiggins Show is back with you throughout the 2018 Love Welter. Geraint just concert, has been concentrating on what he's been trying to do, you know, win the Tour de France. The last month he was occupied with that and all of a sudden he comes back from the Tour de France and everyone wants to know what he thinks about certain topics and... It's one of them things, if you haven't got a strong opinion on it either way, he's the Tour de France winner now and everyone wants to know his view on certain things like he's some sort of messiah. Join Brad and a host of guests as they discuss the final Grand Tour of the season and all the latest news from the world of cycling. 
That's the Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport, available every Monday on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Matt, you've been doing Japan. Certainly have, yeah. Now, we've all seen loads of really amazing goals from Andres Iniesta. What else has been going on in the J-League? Um, well, it's not been quite as exciting as it was last year when it was won on goal difference by Kawasaki Frontale on the final day of the season. Their, their first ever title was really, really amazing end to the campaign. That, But I did the, uh, the game between the team that they pipped uh, to the title last season, Kashimura Antlers and Jubilo Iwata. Who are you Friday. doing? Who are you doing this for? Uh, it's for Dazone in Canada. Oh, Dazone. Is yeah. that how you pronounce that? Yeah. Dazone. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't make much sense when you look at it. No, it? no, because it's Dazan. <laughs> yeah, Dazan. Yeah, Dazan. Right, okay. Yeah, in Canada? Yes. All right. Um, hello to you, listener in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I find it really strange that uh, given the sort of surfeit of football rights now that Sky and BT have, that nobody's picked up the J League because it's a really, really exciting league. You've got lots of really technical players, lots of big stadiums that are always full with incredibly noisy support, which makes for a fantastic atmosphere helps the game it's an interesting league to watch in that they have um, restrictions on the number of foreign players uh, you can have you can only have three players from outside the Asian Federation in your match day squad you're allowed five in total only four of those can go into the squad um, and I think that actually helped Japan in the World Cup mm. also that the J League season was going on well they paused it for the World Cup but you know they didn't they didn't have a break like the European teams did or whatever right um, probably helped South Korea to an extent as well I know they didn't get through but but they uh, they they played better than we thought but yeah it's a, it's an interesting one to watch the J1 league it's not one of those I know we've got Torres and Iniesta there now but it's not one of those retirement homes like China is they are all about promoting uh, Japanese players most of the coaches are Japanese as well now mm. it, it used to be you get a lot of Brazilians you still do get a lot of Brazilian players in it but yeah I mean for the for the money that Sky or BT could pick it up I think it would be a really interesting league to have on British TV and it's a shame it's not and if they were to do that then we know who could commentate for them don't we yes please yeah are, are the stadiums really tidy in the J League <laughs> yeah very much so yeah right. they have beautiful displays and banners that are in English uh, you know with statements that don't quite make sense but that just makes it all the more endearing right really cool kits as well yeah if you, if you can get if you get the chance to see any I recommend it it's a, it's a good league it always oh. used to be the uh, open on Transworld Sport back in the day that was the warm up to you, James. On was Gazeta. it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It was usually a bit of, a bit of J League and Speaking a bit of Kabaddi. Of on... Sentences in English that don't make any sense. <laughs> you you mentioned South Korea there. Just want to bring you up to date on uh, their progress because, of course, Spurs fans, uh, when Sun coming home and is he going to have to do national service? The good news is that they beat Iran 2 0 in their last 16 match in the Asian Games. They'll now face Uzbekistan and then either they're going to face Vietnam or Syria to see uh, if they can make the final, where North Korea might be waiting for them. That's going to be a huge match. Excellent. All right. In other exciting news from foreign lands, there were lots of exciting matches, segue tick, uh, in Serie A this weekend. We'll talk about them on Wednesday in Golazzo. We'll talk about Juve's 2-0 win over Lazio. Fantastic goal from Pjanic. Good goal from Mandzukic as well, which which was followed by classic scenes of Cristiano Ronaldo chuckling at the fact that someone else had had the just poor taste to score when he'd missed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Is the exasperation followed by, oh, hang on, this camera's filming this. I'd better look pleased. <laughs> um, somebody posted in with a question, and I, unfortunately I've chopped their name off. Sorry to you, listener. Uh, will Ronaldo ever score again? Uh, but, Michael, you've got stats for this, haven't you? Yeah, well, last season he... he 
didn't score in his first three games for Real Madrid. And I think he got one in his first eight league games. So he has taken a little bit of time often to get up to full speed. I mean, relatively speaking, for a player who is generally scoring over a goal a game, he doesn't do that in August and September. He's got a bit of Harry Kane-itis. Harry Kane-itis. Mm. All right. Uh, anyway, Juventus are top of the table alongside Spal, who beat Parma 1-0. With an absolutely extraordinary goal from Mirko Antonucci to have a look at that. And uh, Napoli, who despite many people's predictions of a sluggish start, have roared out the blocks, winning away at Lazio and beating Milan, coming back from 2-0 down this weekend. Did you see this game, Michael? Yes, I did, yeah. It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was excellent. And and like you say, it hasn't been a sluggish start, but it's been a sluggish start in the games, if that makes mm. sense, because they've, they've come from behind twice, haven't yeah. they? Both games. Yeah, yeah. They were 1-0 down after that fantastic Immobile goal, um, which really upset Gary Bertelsen is, is worth it for that alone um, in the in the Lazio game. And then uh, this, you had a uh, fantastic goal from Jack Bonaventura and then Calabria made it 2-0 for Milan before Napoli just turned on the, the style. It was a glorious performance. And Carlo Ancelotti, of course, a victory for him over the club where he played and won the Champions League. Have some of that. Anyway, we'll talk more about all that sort of thing on Wednesday in Golazzo. Of course, you can join Caroline Barker for the all-new Totally Football League show. Among the many exciting talking points there, uh, Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa's bucket top of the table, despite Norwich's pink dressing room. <laughs> uh, they repainted the dressing room pink. Yes, and apparently um, an expert spoke out saying it might not have the effect that they wanted because it, it could uh, it could relax you into a state, you know, get rid of your pre-match nerves and hey, let's just go out and enjoy it. We've we've reduced our testosterone. We we can just uh, we can just go out and play our natural game. So we'll wait and see. Three 0 anyway for Leeds at Norwich that puts them level on points with Borough. QPR off the bottom, Harriet. Did you know this? I didn't know. They had a win. 1-0 over Wigan. But the fans were still chanting that they want Ollie back. Poor old Steve McLaren. Let's get some stick, doesn't he? In League One, Charlton fans are at it again. Another excellent fan protest at the Valley. Uh, this time they stopped their game with Fleetwood after one minute by throwing crisp packets onto... Do you know why, Harriet? Yeah, so uh, earlier last week, um, because the cleaning roster has been uh, reduced at, at Charlton, uh, an employee had to ask whether they could eat some crisps. Um, and uh, that was one of the reasons behind the fans throwing packets of crisps on the pitch at the weekend. Other protests in the past, of course, involved plastic pigs, red bulls, plastic taxis. I don't remember that one. Not eating any of the food at the stadium. That was a good one. And driving a taxi to Belgium. I thought <laughs> that the Duchatelets were stepping, stepping back. I thought that this had all had an effect, but it, it, they're still there, Harriet. Yeah, they are, and um, I think the the protests are going to continue until um, they maybe get their way. But I think we're just going to see more and more uh, random protests uh, as the seasons go on. Best of luck to them. Must be very very frustrating for all Charlton fans. Uh, also in League One, Sunderland. Remember them? Yep. They are second in the division. How about that? They've also got a documentary series for anyone who thought that all or nothing. It's a bit of a kind of a sanitised commercial corporate thing. Sunderland, their gloriously awful season when they were relegated from the championship is is, is going to be immortalised. Oh, by the people who did the class of 92, Fall 73. Hello, Fall 73. Um, which might mean James Corden does the narration. Let's hope not. Because they produce his, 
his uh, show in the States. Right. I mean, it, it's a it's a much more interesting um, subject than Manchester City winning every single game they play, I, I would suggest. It's going to be out at Christmas, apparently, so uh, look forward to that. Anyway, elsewhere on the Totally Network, of course, the Totally Scottish Football Show will be along quite soon with Andrew Slaven. Well, they'll be talking about loads of stuff, Europa League results, all that, and hearts top. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Saturday, four red cards in six games. Two of them, Harriet, coming in a game, a thrilling game, at the Vitality Stadium. Yeah, it was a great game uh, down in Bournemouth and there's always goals in this one. It's been 19 goals in the last four Premier League matches, uh, including there was a 6-3 at Goodison and uh, 3-3. And this one, it kind of took a while to get going in terms of the goals. Uh, And Richarlison, after scoring three in in two, Mm -hmm. um, everybody seemed to put him in, in their fantasy team and then he... Yeah, he... Probably he, dropped out of their fantasy team for yes, three, yeah. three matches. Absolutely. Only two. Oh, is it only two? Yeah, one, one will be served in the League Cup. Anyway, it's not yeah, in my Richard, team. The, the red card for Richarlison, personally, I felt was harsh. Yeah, I think it was harsh, but in you know the letter of the law, if you make that kind of movement towards an opponent with your with your head, then you're going to get sent off, and and the referee sees it, and he's he's gonna he's gonna give you marching orders. Well, it was Adam Smith who lured him into it, and of course Adam Smith then walked himself somewhat yes. harshly later on. Yeah, and Walcott came out uh, after the game in his in his interview and said that he he was surprised to see the mm. red card brandished. So. Um, yeah, I think both of them were slightly slightly harsh. Um but with Richarlison it was you know, he'll he'll learn pretty quickly um from that. He's still young and Marco Silva will will, you know, make sure that he, he doesn't do that kind of thing again and is responsible on the pitch. Um and but you were saying he's only had one red card previously in his whole career. Yeah, in, in two thousand fifteen right. um, in Brazil. Um and we did an interview. Four Four Two did an interview with uh, Richarlison earlier earlier this year, um, when you know he he'd had a lot of pressure put on him because he was you know big money signing for Watford and now Everton, um, but he told Four Four Two that he's been held up at gunpoint uh, in Brazil because people thought he was a drug dealer. There was one particular drug dealer who thought he was trying to nick his patch, uh-huh. um, and you know he he actually thought this is it. I'm I'm going to die. I've been held up at gunpoint in Brazil, actually. I think it happens. It would be more surprising if he hadn't been held up. I don't know if they thought I was a drug dealer. I'm going to guess not. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, back to your story. You're just in your shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, in Brazil. And he's, he's you know, been, uh, had quite a humble upbringing. Uh-huh. He's, you know, always stayed away from the drugs. He's so many, He said he'd have been offered um, drugs so many times, but, you know, he knew that, you know, knew that his Again, family... this could be me you're talking about. <laughs> He knew that his, you know, he knew what he wanted to do with his life, and he was always determined to to stay away from from that lifestyle. Um, there were so many guns and and uh, drugs around his upbringing, but he knew he wanted to be a footballer. And he knew what he needed to do to to make it, and staying away from those kind of things was an absolute necessity. Well, he's got three weeks off to think about what he's done. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, without him, they played out a very entertaining, at least until Paul Michael Keane fractured his skull, uh, a very entertaining uh, 2-2 draw. Bournemouth once again coming from behind. This is remarkable. Is that the angle we should take on that? Or is this Everton 2-0 up, slipping to 2-2? Is, uh, is Marco Silva the new Martinez? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think with such a chaotic game, it's hard to take many conclusions from it, really. But um, Everton look... Well organised defensively, you know, by and large. 
Um, collapsed a little bit late and, and very good going forward. And it was good to see Walcott involved as well. I still think Walcott's a really good player. I think it was a great goal, wasn't it? It was a lovely goal. Yeah, and a classic Walcott goal, kind of inside right counter-attack. Um, I think he's going to be really useful for them this season. Brilliant. Good news on Michael Keane as well. Apparently only a hairline fracture, so he'd be out for a month. Obviously, we've seen Petr Cech and, and Ryan Mason yeah. have, have real with, problems with similar injuries. Uh, in contrast to Bournemouth, Saints have lost 24 points from losing positions since the start of last season, including uh, their fixture this weekend, the Claude Puel revenge game against Leicester, uh, which they lost out on uh, after a stoppage time winner by Harry Maguire against uh, a 10-man. Saints side. They've only had three wins in their last 28 home games. Wow. And uh, also from the Premier League and coming soon to a championship near you, <laughs> Huddersfield, <laughs> Cardiff, nil-nil. Here's a quiz question for you. Who was the last Cardiff player to score in the Premier League? Uh, Whittingham. Oh, damn, you're good. <laughs> mm. Did you know that anyway? I think they mentioned it on Match of the Day, I'm All afraid. Right. Okay. Only team in the top four divisions not to score a goal this season, aren't they? Cardiff, Cardiff the only team in professional football without a goal. Mm. Played against see... ten men as well for a while. Yeah. And do you know what their next three matches are? I don't. Arsenal, Chelsea, and Man City. I say Arsenal, but you know. But still, two at least two of those three sound really, really uh, uh, testing. Uh, you know, certainly in terms of their their, their chances of, of finding the net. Neil Warnock says, I, "I wake up thinking of goals. I go to sleep thinking of goals." But. And did you see, uh, obviously another sending off for a headbutt, John, mm-hmm. Jonathan Hogg, did you see in the in the programme beforehand, his teammate Danny Williams was quizzed, you know, it's one of those, which teammate is most likely to do this, most likely to do this, and one of them was most likely to get sent off, and he said, oh yeah, Jonathan Hogg, he always plays on the edge, you know, gives 110%. Goes, and, gives uh, the whole hog. Yeah. Yeah. What a weird question. That yeah, is... that is weird. <laughs> it's, it's incriminating, isn't yeah. it? Huddersfield goal of stats, by the way, Matt, I know you want these... That's uh, one goal in their last eight at home. From how many shots? 103 shots. Despite selling Tom Ince, they still (laughs) can't put it away. Extraordinary. Uh, Right. OK. Now, to wrap things up on this totally football show, a couple of things. First of all, Nils Herman writes in. He says, uh, no retreat, no surrender. You've seen this, haven't you, Matt? Jean-Claude Van Damme's first appearance on film? Uh, I heard about it on yeah. Totally last week, but I haven't seen the film. After The Matrix, follow that up. What a double bill you've got set <laughs> for your Monday afternoon. No retreat, no surrender, listeners. It was released in Germany under the title Karate Tiger 1. There are, Harriet, nine other episodes of the Karate Tiger series which have no relation to one another at all. They just call films Karate Tiger 2. <laughs> for example... Uh, the kickboxer movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is in no way related to No Retreat, No Surrender, is Karate Tiger 3. Interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah. All right, it's not interesting. <laughs> but let's talk instead about women's football, because you're working for the Man United women's team, who've returned, yes. or just been kind of recreated. Yes. And what a start for them. I mean, the result didn't go their way, but a record crowd. Record crowds, uh, 4,800 plus uh, at Lee Sports Village. Um, the result wasn't wasn't what they wanted, but it was a positive performance against another team in the league above them. Uh, in the, so that was Reading Women. It was Reading Women. So they're in the WSL. They're in WSL, yeah, and uh, Man United are in the Championship. Okay. Um, so last week, uh, Man United went away to Liverpool, uh, one one nil, uh, in their first ever match back as a professional team. Right. Um, with a, a goal in the eighty third minute, um, and they played really well, and they've played really well. 
uh, in the last two games, uh, well, their first two games, uh, for a team that was thrown together uh, in the last kind of six to eight weeks by Casey Stoney and, and uh, Willie Kirk. This game with uh, Reading was in the Continental Tyres Cup. And that crowd, to put it in perspective, was more than double the attendance of last season's WSL final between Arsenal and Man City. Yeah, and I think that's that's going to be the the biggest thing going forwards for for Man United. And and there there's been a lot of um, press, obviously, about the fact that they've they're a new team and they were kind of just dropped into the championship without you know having established themselves right. uh, in that league. But the draw is there, the crowds are there, and if they're going to be Making you know women's football uh, more prominent in in the country and and in the world, then then it's it's only good for the women's game that Man United are there. Of the big clubs, which ones don't have a women's team now? Real Madrid, I think. Um, Atletico, Juventus, um, and I'm, I'm not sure about uh, obviously Barcelona. I've got I've got a women's team with um, Tony, Tony Duggan yeah. leading the line there. Um, yeah, because you've got any Luco who's gone to, um, to Juve, which yeah. is brilliant. Uh, Katie Zellum uh, was at Juventus last season. Uh, so she's she's quite a, uh, an interesting story for the Man United women's team. So she was part of the Centre of Excellence uh, growing up and had to leave Man United because she got to an age where there was no progression at the club anymore. Uh, so she went to, to Liverpool first uh, and won the FAWSL there and then went to Juventus to, you know, she wanted to broaden her horizons to develop her game. Um, but as soon as she got the call to say there's a Man United women's team uh, starting up and we want you to be a part of it she was there um, so yeah she's she's a great a great player um, really she's bases her game on Iniesta um, and you know it's, it, she's one to look out for this season mm. If you're looking for some um, value in football WSL is the, the place to find it you can get a season ticket as an adult for Chelsea women who play at, at Kings Meadow for £44 Right for the whole season Yep, yep. £22 for kids £44 for adults You commentate on women's football don't you Matt? Yeah well we do we cover a lot of um, Chelsea women's games oh, on you Chelsea, did the TV. For Chelsea TV right? Yeah well I did um, I covered the, the WSL as a whole last season it was um, it was a really exciting season Man City and Chelsea obviously the, the two strongest teams but Arsenal uh, who've got a new a relatively new coach um, did well as well and Liverpool now Neil Redfern former Barnsley midfielder in charge they've made some good signings this season as well so there's it, expected to be not a two horse title race this season I would suggest in WSL 1 at least should also mention this Friday qualify yeah. for the World Cup yeah isn't it? Wales against England yes they're going to be playing that game at uh, Newport and Rodney Parade there was controversy about the fact that it was in a in a smaller stadium not for the for the biggest crowd right um but you know wales are picking their their stadium based on the the atmosphere that they want and the way that they want to play okay um so yeah it's a big game and i think uh, it's almost winner takes all uh in this one okay so much football coming up let's get the odds that's right listener about some of the things we've been chatting about producer ben we've got some intriguing questions for paddy power Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the bank holiday line. Lee, let's talk about some of the odds. Liverpool, top of the table, three wins out of three, no goals conceded. Are they going to win the league? If you ask Liverpool fans, the answer has been yes for quite a while now, about 20-odd years. Uh, But by our odds, the answer is no, actually. Man City remain odds-on favourites of four to six. Liverpool's odds have come right into 13 to five, but we're still favouring City. But I bet you've probably cut the odds on Watford uh, finishing. Probably not as league champions, but in the top four. <laughs> probably not champions. Um, Watford are 17th in the betting to finish in the top four. So if you fancy this, they're a massive 200 to 1 
our traders still think they should be more concerned about relegation. Very harsh after a historic start to the season. Uh, other end of the table, West Ham again, and uh, we're going to have to talk about the sack race. Uh, Pellegrini's lost three out of three so far. Is he uh, close to the exit door, dramatically? <laughs> we think the West Ham board are going to exercise some uh, surprising patience uh, of this one. He's 14-1 to one to be the next manager sacked. The favourite at the minute is Mark Hughes at 2-1. to one with a certain Jose Mourinho 92 second favourite. Speaking of our old pal Moo, um, David Priest last week very cheekily suggesting that he may be a good fit at Scunthorpe and they've only gone and sacked their manager. What are the odds there of Jose Mourinho ending up at Glanford Park? Yeah, it's like inside information there from David. Um, we would quote you 1,000 to 1 that Jose Mourinho is the next Scunthorpe manager or the way he's going, he might need it. And something else that we talked about on the show, uh, Julian Laurent mentioning that Callum Wilson will get an England call-up this season. Uh, England squad being announced on Thursday. Um, he may be in that one. It may take a little longer. So what are the odds on Bournemouth's Callum Wilson making an England squad this year? So this calendar year, the odds are 9-2, which is a decent price. Uh, for this season, the price is 5-4. to four. Uh, The way he started, if he can keep fit, I think that's a, a certainty. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And, of course, when the fun stops, stop. Uh, I'm heading off to Fylde now. Where is Fylde? Well, uh, it's somewhere near Blackpool, a bit north, for some National League action. Fylde are second in the National League, and they're taking on the third-place side. Harrogate, newly promoted. Mm-hmm. And right behind them, it's an ever-so-exciting uh, top-of-the-table in the fifth tier clash. Michael, I know you were excited by Saturday's offering from the National League, which was Maidenhead Maidstone in the Maid Derby. Well, I'm sorry to say I didn't see the Did game. Did you not see but it? I saw the it man was of a the brilliant match. match. Yeah, man of the match was Harold Odimate, who used to play for um, yeah. Martin Kingstonian. Um, but it sounded like a cracker. Yeah, no, and I got to meet him at the end because he was man of the match, so we oh. gave him a very large cheque. I mean, it physically was large. Yeah. And it was yeah. two hundred pounds, which I thought seemed a little bit. I know it was for charity. Yeah, two hundred seems a little bit stingy to me. Well, um, <laughs> sorry. There you go. But exciting because Maidenhead, as as you recall, Matt hadn't won a single game coming into this match, and they duly went. Uh, well, they they were ahead, and then they went behind, but they came back in the last. 10 minutes or so from 2-1 down to win 3-2. Crikey. Fylde are an interesting one, aren't they? Because they, they a lot of investment in the club, but they kind of go under the radar because of Salford City, I think, and you know the, all the attention that's heaped on them. But Fylde, you know, what, 50 miles away, if that, yeah. close by in location. But one to watch, they could be, you know, League 2, League 1 level in the next couple of years, I would think. Yeah, very possibly. Salford are doing well. Adam Rooney scored loads of goals. James, how, how many times did you mix up Maidstone and Maidenhead on air? I didn't, but okay. there, if you watch it closely, there is, you can certainly see my brain working <laughs> and the sentence slows down as I get up to the name just to make sure that the right one is about to come out. It, it was tricky. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, all right, excellent. What are you all up to? You're watching films later today, Matt? Yes, and uh, on Wednesday we'll be releasing our WrestleMania 19 recap of Parts Unknown. We've started season two. That started next week from your friends at Muddy Knees Media. It's a good show this week, so listen to that, please. All right, and you've got FC Tokyo against Sagan Tosu coming up. Yeah, let's see if Torres can make it three and three. Yeah, brilliant. Harriet, what are you up to? Um, I might be heading to Hampton Court Food Show. Oh, that sounds yeah. nice. Food, it's not raining. Yeah. Hampton Court. Absolutely. Very nice. Michael? 
Uh, I'm off to Kingstonian against Corinthian Casuals and then really looking forward to the game tonight. Manchester United against Tottenham. And filed uh, Harrogate, which is before that. You can watch that and then... That's perfect. Indeed it is. We are back on Thursday, joined by James Horncastle, Tom Williams and oily sailor himself, Duncan Alexander. Listener, have a great time in the meanwhile. Thanks for being with us today. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.